Today on the Zabecast, finally home from Vegas, and I'll give you my first-hand account of what it was like to be there at T-Mobile to watch my hockey team finally erase 44 years of heartbreak. We got LeBron James and his mysterious, practically broken hand, and Terrell Owens says, it's my party, and I'll stay home if I want to. If you've got 45 minutes to kill, then buckle up and let's go! Monday, June 11, 2018, thank you so much for downloading, and it's good to be back home in front of the microphone. How does my voice sound? Uh, almost 100%, right? A little bit scratchy, a little bit uh, a little bit tweaky, I guess it would be. Yes, 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 you figured it would be that way coming back from Vegas, and coming back and coming off of such a monumental, historic an amazing thing for all DC sports fans, and especially for DC hockey fans, of which I am I am both. I am both a sports fan and specifically a hockey fan. Man, oh man, my team is 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 champs. My team is a champ. It's so great. It is so great. It's better than I thought it would be. And it keeps staying better than I thought it would be if that makes any sense whatsoever. My basic thought as I had allowed myself to sort of think of and dream of what if they win this thing was that there would be this amazing initial euphoric high, a check, which there was, but then it would, you know, it would peak and it would be good for a short 24, 48, 72. And then, you know, you'd you'd get back to the rest of your life. Or as LeBron James once said famously after losing the NBA Finals while a member of the Miami Heat to those haters who said they were happy that he lost, well, they're going to have to go back to their miserable lives anyway. So I thought there would be, I thought it would quickly kind of fade and be like, okay, that was cool. All right. Oh no, no, it's, it's very, it's very sustaining. Like you think about it. I think about the playoff run. I think about all the plays, all the moments that happened along the way and the satisfaction and the imagery of Alexander Ovechkin hoisting the cup on the ice with his big old gap-toothed hockey player bearded dumbass grin on his face, his just joyousness, his, you know, the, the moment of thank God I finally did this. It's great. It's fantastic. I recommend it to everybody who's a sports fan. Win a championship with your favorite team. It's so, so good. It was kind of like when I uh, made my first hole-in-one in golf. I didn't think, you know, someday I was like, I bet someday I'll have a hole-in-one. And I bet it'll be kind of cool. And then, you know, you're like, eh, whatever. But I, I remember when I got it, I was like, this is great. I recommend it to anyone. It feels so great. It's so fun. It's so nice. So, yes, and not only have I been feeling the joy of this Stanley Cup championship. But my God, the players have as well. The players, the Capitals, have been on a virtual 48-hour, if not 72-hour rampage once they got home to Washington, D.C. They have taken the Cup pretty much everywhere, starting with taking it to Nats Park to show it off there before the fans. And more importantly, they brought it there because many of the Nats players... 
openly supported and got behind the Capitals' playoff run. And they even took a combined group photo with the Cup in the Nats' locker room after the game. Of course, they were on television during one of the intermission periods, and they start breaking out in a, in a song of We Are the Champions, uh, drinking the whole time. Tom Wilson was hammering beers. They all sounded very sloppy. Uh, it was just fantastic. Took it to various parties, impromptu parties in and around town, someplace called Don Tito's. I don't know what that is because I'm lame and don't go out and live fairly far away from where the hot spots are in town. Um, and they, then they were on the Georgetown waterfront on Sunday, and they ended up, uh, the players did, in a shallow fountain doing uh, f- you know, fake swimming laps face down, splashing around. <laughs> uh, Ovi was seen doing keg stands with beer in the cup and, and, and on and on and on. It just, and the parade's not till tomorrow. Today is Monday morning, so t- the parade is not until tomorrow. And then, of course, the players are going to get released with the cup to go take it, you know, wherever they want to take it uh, for a period of 24 hours. And the celebration will continue all summer long. Beautiful, beautiful thing. So what was it like at T-Mobile? It was great. Uh, I was very lucky. Thank you to Uncle Peter uh, Bartell, who hooked me up with a ticket uh, at the Hyde Lounge level of T-Mobile, pretty much at the very top of the arena, the top ring, there is... uh, a VIP section that is sponsored by Hyde Nightclub in the Bellagio. And it looks like, you know, it's kind of decked out as if it were a a miniature club. It's got leather couches and it's got, uh, you know, individual bars that are easy to get to right behind the uh, uh, top of the area. You could sit down and watch the game in theory, but not really. You had to kind of stand at the railing. Uh, and look down on the ice. Now, it was as good a seat in terms of seeing what's going on in the game as any of the other seats that I had uh, for games three and four. It was the furthest away from the action, that's for sure, and it was not as viscerally, wow, I'm right here as being second row. Thank you to uh, Uncle Danny Purcell, another listener who really did me a favor and did me something very nice to get me a ticket to that game. That was game four. But this was what I call the NHL 94 level, uh, or, or, or the NHL 94 view of the game. Just like the video game, NHL 94 is, just, is behind one of the end zones, straight up and down end zones, behind one of the goals, and you were very high above the action. And while being close to the action, second row, it was breathtaking how fast the game moved. From up top, it was shocking to see how slow the game looked, which I think is understandable given everything. But it was cool because you saw plays develop. You got a sense of, okay, here's where the puck is. Uh, You never lost sight of the puck from the angle that we were on up top there because you were looking almost straight down. The other thing that was beautiful about being at the game, wearing my Alex Ovechkin authentic number eight, which, yeah, I wore to the game outside with a golf shirt underneath 
and shorts on, and it was about 97 degrees. And what's amazing is, no, I was not miserable. No, I was not uncomfortable. I wasn't out there for a super long time, but I was outside with a hockey jersey on in 96-degree heat for, I'd say, a good 20 minutes, kind of walking around, get gathering up with uh, Uncle Peter and the crew. And that is the miracle of no humidity. If it was back home and it was 82 degrees and the normal D.C. humidity, oh, no, you'd, you'd die for 20 minutes in a hockey jersey outside in the summer sun. Vegas, no, not the case. So was there in my Ovechkin red, and I sat there and I looked at the rest of the Capitals fans in attendance, and it was awesome. They showed out in force. They showed out in dominant force. Now, I heard various estimates. I think I heard Eddie Olchick on the broadcast, on the NBC broadcast, say uh, he thought it was 37%, which is an oddly specific number that he estimated the number of Caps fans in the crowd at 37%. Eh, I don't know. I think it was closer to 20%, and that's a, again, that's just a number out of my ass, just like the number out of Eddie Olchick's ass. I'm not going to say 21 or 19%. It seemed about 20%, about. And maybe it was only like 15 Bottom line is it was a lot. It was way more than I'm sure most Vegas Golden Knights fans and their billionaire owner wanted to see. But hey, you had to figure it was going to happen. There was simple economics in play here too. At one point, uh, at, you know, prior to the game, prior to game five, the cheapest get-in price ticket for game six, if necessary, back home in D.C., was nearing $2,000, which is amazing and insane and awesome to think that that would be the case. The cheapest get-in price, according to the secondary market in Vegas for Game 5, was around $700, $750. And if you hustled and if you showed up outside the arena, you could have probably gotten a cheaper ticket than that. So you do the math. Do you want to uh, hope that the Capitals lose and then have a $2,000 ticket at home for game six? Or do you want to buy a ticket for $750, get a flight out to Vegas for $500, still have $600 of headroom with your budget to then be able to go gamble and get a hotel and a nice meal? It's a no-brainer. So a lot of those fans that could get off work and did hustle to do that, showed up. For the first time, though, in my life, I felt like, wow, we're doing to Vegas what other teams have done to us, specifically what Penguin fans have done to us at Capital One Arena. It's what Pittsburgh Steelers fans have done to us at FedEx Field, what Eagle fans are increasingly doing to us, putting in a good 20-plus percent contingent of enemy jerseys in our own building, and being loud while doing it. God, it was great to see that, and great to be part of it. So the game ends, and I'm just soaking it all in. Uh, they bring out the cup, obviously, and uh, I'm, I'm just watching everything from high above. I was struck at how shiny 
the Stanley Cup is when it is uh, fully buffed up and shined up and uh, presented by its handler. And I, I just watched every, you know, all the players walking around. My only regret is that, and I've got this on DVR, I'm going to go watch it uh, at some point here, is that pretty much as soon as the game was over, the televisions in the Hyde Lounge level where we were sitting, which had been carrying the NBC feed with Doc Emmerich and Eddie O and uh, Pierre, those cut off. They pretty much cut off. They went to stadium promotions, and then they just got turned off entirely. And all I wanted to do was sit there and watch the television feed and the commentary from, uh, you know, Doc Emmerich, because nobody narrates the handshake line and the trophy ceremony better than Doc Emmerich. It's fantastic. So they didn't do that, which was eh, slight, slightly unfortunate, but I'm not going to make a big deal of it. Soaked it all in. Uh, my friends left. They're like, well, we're going to go. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to watch every last bit of it. And, of course, I watched a number of Capitals come out and hoist the cup wearing numbers and with names that I had never heard of in my life. I'm like, who is that guy? And it's pretty much what they do is they let guys who are deep on the roster who I think had a specific minimum number of games during the season uh, to go ahead and suit up and hold hoist the cup. And that's what they did. So I, I watch all of it. I finally, they finally kicked me out because uh, they're like, we're closing, got to leave. As I'm leaving, I'm getting some very sincere congratulations from a good half dozen or more Vegas Golden Knights fans, which I thought was totally cool because I didn't know how these fans would be. I didn't know if they would be complete dicks or, you know, just like, yeah, fuck you, get out of here. A lot of sincere congratulations. I even met, <laughs> I even met uh, Captain Dawn, as I called her. She, uh, you know, she's about forty-year-old uh, woman, single mom, pilot, an airline pilot for Allegiant Airways, who said she was a sports fan but kind of sick of football, and when and lives in Vegas. And when they said that Vegas was going to try to get a hockey team. Uh, she said, I'm in. Where, here's my money. Take my deposit. I want to be part of this. She had, of course, on a full-on, you know, Golden Knights uh, jersey. I think it was a James Neal jersey. Uh, you know, various hats and pins and accessories. She was the full-on, you know, hockey fan. Said that her season tickets cost more than her rent. Uh, said she didn't care because she would skimp it other ways said uh, that you know she could have sold her tickets to Game 5 for several thousand dollars because they were good tickets. I think she had two tickets down uh, somewhere within the first 15 or 20 rows, but didn't because she wanted to be there. And I said, son of a bitch. I said, this is great. This is what Vegas did. They stepped up to support a hockey team, and they got one. And they're going to, you know, this town is going to grow. Vegas is going to grow as a hockey town. Uh, over the years, I have no doubt about it. And they've already fallen in love with their team in this first year because they had such an incredible run. And it's good for hockey. Had they won it all, 
I can understand where there'd be bitterness and some people would roll their eyes and say, this is not good for the NHL. You're not supposed to win it in your first season. Okay. I, I can understand that argument. I don't think it would have been bad for the NHL, per se. It would have pissed off a lot of franchises. Would have pissed off the Canadians in general because uh, there has not been a Canadian Stanley Cup victory since 1993, I believe. Um, but otherwise, no, it's it's good. It's good that, that Vegas is now up and running, just like Nashville is now a absolutely fanatic Southern hockey team and hockey town. And what are we in Washington? My God, what? That's the other question that I had as I was watching uh, the game on TV, some of the highlights, watching my Twitter feed. My God, what are we now? Look at the crowds that showed up downtown in D.C., the red wave, the red plague that just infected street after street after street. Amazing. And the celebration that'll be Tuesday for the parade, I I mean, I can't wait to see it. I don't think it's going to be the largest parade ever down Constitution Avenue, although maybe if we get Sean Spicer to count it, uh, it will be uh, the greatest, the most people ever. Uh, it's going to be huge. It's going to be great. I hope the weather holds out because the weather has sucked as of late. But I really think that we came, you know, we came of age as a sports town. Not that we were a bad sports town. And by the way, Mike Wilbon, such utter weak sauce with his only tweet being sort of a vague, non-mea culpa issuing tweet regarding D.C. as a quote-unquote minor league sports town after we, in his minds, over-celebrated the win against the, the Penguins to get past our El Guapo. Minor league, my fucking ass. Look at the turnout. Look at the fans. So Tuesday is the parade, and we will be down there. Uh, we, uh, meaning my station, uh, the Team 980. I don't know where we're broadcasting from, uh, but we are working on it, and I think we're going to be doing a show from one of the local bars down there near Capital One in the afternoon, 4 o'clock. So if you are already drunk from 11 a.m. on, come on, stumble by to where we're going to be broadcasting. I, I think, shh, don't count, don't consider this gospel, but I believe it's going to be Penn Quarters. So that'll be on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, come by, see myself, Scott Lynn, and uh, revel in the moment if you are a Capitals fan. And for the most part, ladies and gentlemen, listeners from all over the country, fans of sports, everything not named hockey, that's going to be about it for hockey, to which I'm sure you're saying, whoa, thank God, that run nearly wore me out. I know, I know. On to other sports like bouncy ball. So the Cavaliers get swept in four games, rudely in game four, as a matter of fact, as the Golden State Warriors have now completed their third championship in four years, a virtual dynasty, a run of four in a row, which was only interrupted by the most incredible game seven road win with an incredible LeBron James block uh, and an incredible gaffe by Steph Curry to throw the ball behind his back out of bounds in that one year, the second year in which they did not win the championship. 
All hail the Warriors. They are a dominant dynastic team. I'll grant you that. But on the flip side of things, you know, LeBron James can't do it all. But then again, LeBron James and that broken hand story, which came out right after the finals were over. Oh, my God. Where do I even begin on this? I know that when I saw the story come out on my Twitter feed in Vegas, I had, uh, well, just a, a timeline of the night. So I, I did go bet 100 bucks again on the Warriors minus another short four and a half, feeling more confident than I did in game three. And it turned out I was justified and correct. And I go to then watch the game in my room uh, for a little bit. And I'm in my room, you know, peak fun time, party hour, Vegas. We're talking, uh, what would it be, 5.30, 6 o'clock in Vegas? Yeah, about 6 o'clock in Vegas. You know, when things are kind of getting hopping, it's late afternoon, sun's going down, uh, people are out and about, going out to get some dinner, blah, blah, blah. I'm in my room. And I'm in my room thinking, yeah, it kind of is my job to watch these games. Shouldn't I be in the room here and just concentrating on the game and chilling out, making some notes? And then part of me is like, nah, man, no one's going to talk about this fucking game until you're not even going to be on the air again until Monday because this was Friday night. And by Monday, given the Capitals having won and coming home, who's going to spend time breaking down these possessions? So after about a quarter, uh, and I got a text from our group saying, yeah, we're over here at Margaritaville. We're going to go eat. Come you know, come on down. I was like, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not going to sit in my room in Vegas and watch this game. So we go and we sit down to eat, and I'm watching the game on one of the TVs uh, in Margaritaville. And as the game is going on and as the lead continues to widen, the play continues to deteriorate to the point where, as you saw it, that was a pickup game. In fact, I tweet it as such. Uh, this is a good, parentheses, pickup game. <laughs> a variant of my oh-so-cheeky tweet of this is a good game whenever there is, in fact, a good game that people on Twitter are losing their minds over. I tweeted this is a good pickup game. The product turned into absolute shit with at least uh, a quarter and a half to go, maybe more. Who knows? And I kept you know, nudging my friends there uh, at the table. I'm like, look at this. Look, look at this. Look at this game. Like, they're just running up and down the court, throwing these wild-ass passes, taking these wild-ass shots. And that's what the game deteriorated into. I think the Cavaliers knew we were not going to win this game. And then they pretty much punched out. The next most, uh, the next exciting thing that you know was a topic of discussion was when's LeBron going to leave the game? Because you know the lead is twenty, twenty four points, whatever it was. And we're like, I bet he leaves right now, like with eight minutes to go. Nah, it's too early. Nah, man, he's going to play almost until the very end. Probably one minute to go, they'll take him out for a standing ovation. I'm like, the fuck he is. He is not going to stick around for this for that long. So sure enough, with like, what, four minutes and change, he punches out and he gives the most perfunctory, not even going to look you in the face, uh, chest taps and fist daps and half hugs and nudges like, hey man, hey man, okay, hey, good game, good game, good game, okay. I'm going to the bench right now and we're going to let the scrubs finish this one out. 
And then the, then the bench, the benches, both benches, vomited themselves out onto the court, and we saw, oh boy, a bunch of professional basketball players getting paid at least a million dollars each. I don't know what the league minimum is, but I think so. The average salary in the NBA is $5 million. A bunch of these guys uh, were making, I'm sure, at least $1, 2000000 million. And watching these, these scrubs play out there, you're like, God, these are unusable players. Like, they have not been used in the series. They can't be used. And yet they're still pros getting paid a million dollars a year. Good life. That's a, that's a good gig to have. So the game ends, and I go off to cash my ticket. Uh, I was going to go gamble a bit, get some drinks, gamble. More drinks, gamble. And uh, during a break then, I checked my Twitter feed. In fact, I went up to the room to go offload some stuff. I forget what it was. Something I had, it was carrying with me, I forget. <clears throat> go up to the room, and that's when I started to read the Twitter feed, and that's where I found out that LeBron James claims he practically had a broken hand for the final three games of the series because he got so pissed off over how game one unfolded. And not only did he do, did he reveal that nugget, but he made sure to have a cast, a soft cast on his hand for the first time since that alleged incident that nobody witnessed and nobody reported on either. Oh, by the way, which is a whole separate story. Whole separate point I want to make. Uh, yeah, that is so classic LeBron. Now let's cut right to the heart of it. Do you believe him? Do you believe he really had a, quote, practically broken hand? I would say I probably believe him to some extent, but I don't believe in practically broken hands. I believe in either broken hands or not broken hands. He probably had a severe bone contusion or maybe a mild bone contusion or maybe something of the sort. I did see where the Twitter sports doctor to the world, Dr. David Chow, Dr. Chow, did opine saying that based on a photo somebody had provided of LeBron James's hand without a cast, without anything on it, uh, looked a bit swollen, the back of his hand. So that there probably, I think he called it a dorsal contusion of some sort, some dorsal swelling to kind of support that, okay, maybe he did hurt his hand. Did LeBron James play in a way in which people go, boy, I tell you what, something's not right. He's, uh, he's wincing with that right hand, and uh, he doesn't seem to be favoring it you know, on the dribble. And uh, Is there something wrong with his hand? What happened? Nobody. Nobody said that. Now, in retrospect, people are saying, well, he didn't dunk after game one. Well, actually, he did alley-oop it to himself off the backboard in game four, which was pretty awesome to watch. So how much did it really affect his play? Were his numbers down? Yes. But they had a chance to win game three. Big time. They were in it right to the end. And yet they didn't get it done. LeBron James, I'd have total respect for as a player. As a competitor, he is so far behind Michael Jeffrey Jordan, it's not even funny. As a pure competitor. LeBron James as a as a human being, as a man, as a global icon, A+. plus. He's a family man. He's been married to the same woman the whole time. There's never been any scandals. 
no out of wedlock, wedlock kids. He's got uh, two boys, one of the older which, Bronny, is his name. Yes, that's his name, Bronny James, is 13, and he is apparently a very promising basketball player, which would not surprise anybody. Of course, Michael Jordan had kids, and uh, they got to the level, I think one of Jordan's kids got to the uh, college level, played for Illinois briefly, and that was about it. So we'll see if there's another LeBron James in the offing as a professional NBA player. Kind of like Del Curry's kid, uh, Steph, or Michael Thompson's kid, uh, Clay. It would be no big surprise if Bronny someday is in the pros. So the three parts, or the, the three ways I look at LeBron James, I, I split it out three ways. LeBron James, the man, the global icon, A+. Handles his business flawlessly. Makes smart business decisions off the court. Does not squander his money. Does not get in trouble. Is a family man. A plus. I got no problem with LeBron James in that regard. LeBron James, the pure player in terms of what he can do on the court and what he does do and the stats that he racks up and the dominance that he exerts. The fact that he has been to the finals now eight straight times. And that you know people will say, well, the East is terrible. Well, it's terrible in part because he's been in it. That's part of why the the East looks so bad. Okay. LeBron James, the pure player. Total, utter respect. The guy is amazing. But LeBron James, the competitor, the guy that should refuse to lose, the guy that is not afraid of stepping up to a challenge, a guy who is not afraid to fail, oh no, no, no. No respect for that guy. First of all, let's go back to game one. LeBron James should absolutely be ripped for how he handled the intermission between the end of regulation after J.R. Smith fucked it up and George Hill fucked it up and the start of overtime. LeBron James sat on the bench with a very unmistakable, passive-aggressive, silent treatment to everybody around him like, you guys suck. I hate you guys. You, you all suck. I'm great, and you suck, and you lost the game, and I hate you. Well, I didn't hear him say that. No, you didn't have to hear him say it. Him sitting there, not saying anything, said it all. He even made sure to ask Ty Lue, do we have a timeout? And Ty Lue's like, yeah. And then he threw a little mini hissy fit. No, no. LeBron James, the competitor, and LeBron James, the leader, and Le- LeBron James, the winner, is supposed to have a moment of being frustrated and then shake it off and say, okay, listen, all right, guys, come on. All right, we fucked up. Maybe make, maybe even make a small joke and say, but we're winning this. We're winning this in overtime. Now listen up. Here's what we got to do. Huddle up and be bought in and make everybody at least feel like, okay, yeah, yeah, that, that was a screw-up, but okay. Uh, they got rolled in overtime. And they got rolled in overtime in part because LeBron James sent the unmistakable image that he would rather pout and blame other people than figure out a way to win, even though they had a chance to win in overtime. Yes, they did. And then to go punch a whiteboard is a total loss of composure, which he should be mad at himself for, because if you want to lose cool, if you want to lose your cool and you want to show how frustrated you are, Go smash a trash can or kick something or destroy something or go yell at somebody. Don't punch a whiteboard. (laughs) Really? Okay. Pretty stupid there. 
And then if you do all that, don't admit it. Like, don't be proud of it. LeBron James trotted out that excuse as if he was proud of it. It, it was almost like a humble brag, like, yeah, not too good, let my emotions get the best of me, and uh, you know, practically played the last three games of the broken hand. It was all vintage LeBron of, hey, don't blame me, man. And, you know, hey, uh, I did all I can. I don't know how anyone can respect that element of LeBron, and it's an element that has shown up time and time again throughout his career. But, of course, it, uh, it happened in the finals. And the other part of it, which I found to be amazing, excuse me, is that uh, none of the reporters had the story. Not even the uh, infamous Adrian Wojnarowski, the Woj. No Woj bombs on that little bit of information, right? Oh, yeah, LeBron James kind of punched a wall and uh, his hand may not be right. All those media credentials issued. I mean, NBA issues a ton of media credentials for the finals. All over the world. Tons and tons and tons of reporters. And you could say, well, they knew about it, but they were they were respecting LeBron James and not outing an injury. Kind of like in hockey where the teams will say upper body injury. They don't want to say what it is. Although there's differences there because who's going to target LeBron James's hand uh, if they know that it's injured? Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Draymond Green would. Draymond Green would grab the hand and try to sit on it repeatedly to break it further. Okay, I take that back. But still, as a reporter, it's not your job to hide injuries. It's your job to say, hey, I heard this incident happened, and I think LeBron James might not be 100%. And while you can say, well, uh, Stephen A. Smith claimed to know it but didn't want to say it, and Brian Windhorst knew it but didn't want to say it. That's only one or two guys. There was probably several hundred media members credentialed. Nobody had it. All those credentials, all that buffet food served, and nobody reported on this. Nobody had the story. That is an embarrassment if you ask me. Absolutely an embarrassment. You know, cover the games for God's sakes. Stop trying to be friends with everybody. Stop putting your access in front of everything else. You know, Windhorst, his only job at ESPN is to be the conduit to LeBron. And I understand that the access and the conduit to LeBron would be severely damaged if he went and reported on something like a practically broken hand against LeBron's wishes. But still, it's just embarrassing. I, isn't there anybody at ESPN that when this came out picked up the phone, called Windhorst, and chewed his ass out saying, what the fuck are we paying you for exactly that you did not have this? Of course, maybe it didn't happen. That's another part of it. Who knows? There's no video of it. There's no eyewitnesses to it. But, you know, whatever. And then the wearing of the cast was another peak LeBron thing. So what's that cast protecting finally? Like, all right, now I can show you. Look. I have a soft cast on my hand. I couldn't be lying about punching a wall or a whiteboard and damaging my hand, breaking a bone or whatever. Because look, I've got a soft cast. <laughs> Since he didn't show up at any shoot-arounds, didn't show up traveling, getting off the plane with a cast, didn't have the cast on after games one, two, or three. 
Well, he wouldn't have to have it after one because he just did it then. Why would you need a cast after game four? You're heading into the offseason. Why? And the answer is simple. It was show and tell time. It was, uh, what was that episode in the Brady Bunch where a guy, they're in court and uh, the guy is wearing a fake neck brace and they fool him by dropping a book real quick and it makes a loud noise and the guy turns his head and it's like, aha, fake-ass neck brace. I believe Jason Whitlock pointed out that it was like, you know, Ted Kennedy after Chappaquiddick showing up in court with a neck brace himself, like, oh, feel sympathy for me. I, I know Mary Jo Kopechny's dead. She drowned, but oh, look at my neck. Oh, Judge Smalesian. Oh, or excuse me, Al Chervik. Oh, my arm, it's broken. LeBron James just had to have that cast on, didn't he? It's peak LeBron. Hell of a player. Difference maker. He will take a team of scrubs to the NBA Finals. And had one of those scrubs hit a free throw in game one, then maybe uh, we'd still be playing basketball. Maybe. Had they been able to finish out game two. Who knows? Hell, had the Rockets dusted off Golden State, had Chris Paul not gotten hurt, maybe LeBron and his cast of misfits would have had a much better matchup against James Harden and company. You never know. And now the big question is, where does LeBron go in free agency? It's I read a long story that explained all the different pros and cons of various places, and there seemingly is more cons in more places than pros. There's more complicating factors all over the place than there are easy landing spots for LeBron James. And I will say that the essence of that is because LeBron makes it difficult. LeBron wants to go somewhere where they're going to contend right away, and so he can't go to any number of teams that might have the cap space because they're just they're not good enough. Not good enough for him to go right back to the finals right away, although, I don't know, he could take perhaps a team that's really, really bad to the Eastern Conference Finals. Does he want to go to West? Does he want to go West? Does he really want to be a Laker? Does he want to put up with the you know, Papa LeVar Ball? Or would that not be a problem? Would they trade uh, Lonzo Ball as part of any deal to bring LeBron there? There's sign-and-trade implications regarding the salary cap and money and bird rights and everything else. Uh, Houston would be a spot people have been talking about, but they have a lot of complicating factors. Daryl Morey is one of the best GMs in the league. He, If anybody could figure it out, he could, but do they want to? How is LeBron with James Harden? I don't know. And on and on. Then in the East, the Sixers seem to be the logical landing spot. But, you know, the Colangelo thing maybe complicated it, maybe not, now that he is out. Boston continues to be a juicy speculation point because now people are saying, well, they could trade Kyrie and bring in LeBron, and then boom, look at that. I have a hard time imagining that happening. And then there's the Golden State angle, which some, you know, pundits on ESPN are pushing like it could happen (laughs) that to me would be the funniest outcome if LeBron James says fuck it can't beat him join him and he turns into a Golden State Warrior next year all right let's end with this Terrell Owens said over the weekend that it's his party and he'll skip it if he wants to Terrell Owens says he he will not attend the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies in Canton 
this coming August 4th. Did not really give his reasons for it other than the reason of I'd rather spend this time with my family and those close to me. To which I'm sure his family and those close to him are now screaming at him, you dummy, we would do that together in Canton. It's almost like Terrell Owens doesn't get how it works. Yes, you go into the Hall of Fame, you get on stage to start, and this is what really starts the football cycle. And I think it's perfect how it happens. Now, the Hall of Fame game and the Hall of Fame uh, ceremonies is the first kind of official act of, okay, football begins again. And you celebrate those who are making the Hall of Fame, and they give speeches about how great football is, and they tear up, and they're wearing their mustard jackets, and they're standing in front of their bronze bust. But, you know, Terrell Owens, I guess... (laughs) Either, either he doesn't understand how it works. Yeah, you go there and you bring your family. You spend a little bit of money for those that can't afford it, or your friends and family say, fuck it, I will be there in Canton, Ohio in August because I want to see you go to the Hall of Fame. So he could spend it with friends and family there. But that was his excuse. I don't want to be there. I want to spend it with people around me that mean a lot and blah, blah, blah. You know damn well that this is a statement Terrell Owens is making against the committee and against the Hall of Fame for making him wait. What was it, a couple years, two years, three years to get into the Hall of Fame? And for that, I say, great. I love it. It's a boss move. It it is literally your party. And if you don't want to go, it's no big deal. It's not like they're going to have to cancel the whole ceremony. There's other guys that will be on the stage. He just has chosen not to. This, to me, is perfect T.O. T.O. has always been a borderline mental patient, and I'm not certified to assess mental acuity, but uh, let's be honest. Look at his career. I, I think he clearly has struggled with you know, some, some psychological issues over the years. He has been a difficult pain in the ass. At times, he has also been a spectacular football player who has been a dominant force on the teams that he has been on. And I know what the argument is, but four teams were happy to get rid of him. Eh, not exactly. Some teams that got rid of him, I think, regretted getting rid of him. I know this. The Cowboys loved him when they had him. The Eagles loved him when they had him. And the Niners loved him when they had him. Whether or not they got sick of him or they just decided, okay, we can't handle him anymore, who knows. But the bottom line is most NFL wide receivers are divas and high-maintenance and egomaniacs and require a lot of care and feeding. So what? So you manage the guy. T.O.'s numbers were absolute slam dunk, first ballot, kick in the door, Hall of Fame worthy, but he was kept out because of the small-minded pettiness of that committee and the sports writers, the unelected 43 members of that panel that sit in a room for one day a year and hash out who they think should be in the Hall of Fame or not. That system has got to end. And so T.O. throwing a big brick at and and a giant not-so-subtle middle finger and F.U. at that committee and the way this is done, I, I love it. It's great. Now, I'm going to miss him being up on stage because I thought he was going to just completely break down and you know be totally emotional, which would have been great and raw and, and genuine. That's my quarterback, man. That's my quarterback. 
I, I would, it would have been good theater. But guess what? It's not going to happen. And the world is going to still spin on its axis. Unless T.O. changes his mind, which eh, we got time, actually. Uh, we've got a whole month and a half, at least. And I'm sure if he changes his mind at the last minute, I would hope that the Hall of Fame committee would say, sure, yeah, we'll just put you in the program. We've got your 15 minutes or whatever it takes on stage slotted, and so you are uh, you are good to go. But I'm fully supportive of it. And anyone, like Gary Myers of the New York Daily News said, well, if I knew he was going to skip the, the, the ceremony, I would not have voted him in. That's the problem. It's small-minded, pencil-necked dweebs like that that are the problem. If, he, if I knew he was not going to come to the party, I would not have voted him in. Can you think of any, can you think of logic more distorted, more not getting the point than that? I, 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 I can't. So you're saying he's not one of the great football players of all time because he didn't want to come to a party? Okay, good. Get off the fucking committee. All right, that'll be a wrap for today. No guests today. Uh, it is Monday. I've got the uh, station golf tournament, the True Heroes, 11th annual to go to. Uh, weather's going to suck. Uh, 64 degrees and rain on June 11th. Oh, we are living a springtime paradise here in the nation's capital. Uh, Tuesday is the Capitals Parade. So not sure who's going to be on the Zabecast tomorrow morning, but we'll figure it out. And then full post-parade recap on Wednesday's Zabecast. Hopefully, with my voice intact, I will do my best to protect it and keep it as fresh as possible. You know the drill. Tell two friends. Hit up that Reddit thread about how great the Zabecast is. Leave a positive review and rating. Download, subscribe to all the major podcast outlets, iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, and more. And just remember, the Capitals are Stanley Cup champions. And they will be for an entire year. Yes. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Because it's summertime.